give you our praise, God. We give you our praise. We give you only the praise, for you only are worthy of the praise, God. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of all the glory, God. You are worthy. You are holy, God. You are the breath in our lungs. You are the air that we breathe. You are the atmosphere that we walk in, God. Your presence is the atmosphere God, I pray that that presence, that atmosphere would fill this room, that it would fill our hearts, that it would fill our minds, that it would fill this entire service, God, that this would be a service, an offering of praise and worship to you and you only, God, for you are great and greatly to be praised. Hallelujah. Amen. And you may be seated in the house of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. As you've probably recognized, I am not Bishop Brian, uh, but I am the one who has the who is going to be uh, d- delivering the message this morning. Uh, but before I start, uh, I want you to do something for me. Uh, so uh, this is the end of the summer, but we've still only got one service, which means that generally things get kind of packed. And so I'm going to ask you to look in your row. And if you see an empty spot somewhere in the middle of your row, I'm going to ask you to scoot in towards the middle of the row to open up some spots on the aisle so the ushers can seat people who are coming late. And as you're scooting in, you're going to get shoulder to shoulder up close to somebody, you know, and if you're like me from worship, you know, maybe there's a little bit of dampness uh, from that. Uh, so just reach over, shake a hand, say, it's good to, good to get to know you even better. All right. Well, our scripture passage this morning comes from Psalm 9. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you two things. First, I want to let you know an interesting fact about Psalm 9. So together with Psalm 10, Psalm 9 forms what's called an acrostic poem. So that subsequent stanzas of the poem begin with subsequent letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Now, what that means is that the organization of the psalm is somewhat nonlinear because it has to conform to the, to the order of the alphabet. And so what we will actually be studying are two non-contiguous blocks of the psalm that form one continuous thought. The second thing I wanted to say is, yes, I do have a demonstration this morning. <laughs> okay, but, but first, first scripture, reading again from Psalm 9, starting in verse 1. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. And now skipping down to verse 9. 
The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, and those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds, for he who avenges blood is mindful of them, and he does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. Amen. Amen. So this psalm opens with a chorus of praise. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Specifically, the psalm praises God as Most High. And that term, Most High, Elion in Hebrew, is one of many names that is used throughout Scripture for God. And as we see in this psalm, Elion, the Most High, has the authority to judge righteously, the power to punish the wicked, and the ability to give shelter to those who are afflicted or oppressed. The psalmist speaks of exulting in God. Exult literally means to leap, to be lifted up in joy. Has anyone ever needed to be lifted up in joy? To this day, we still sing psalms of praise to God Most High. All other gods, they are the works of men, but you are the most high God. There is Jehovah, 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 Jehovah. You are good and your mercy is forever. 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 All right, yes. So to this day, we still sing psalms of praise to God most high. And yet it permeates the ways we talk about God. We talk about God as a higher power. We give him the highest praise. In the sanctuary, we lift our hands. You know, I, don't see, I didn't see a lot of you dancing like this. You know, I didn't see anybody doing the limbo, how low can you go? We lift our hands up because our God is the most high God. But now, I don't think the imagery of this psalm is completely getting through to us, and so it is time for a demonstration. All right, so here I have a drone. 
I'm just going to take a moment to get this set up. So I have a drone here, and just as the drone can ascend and descend, this psalm talks about us falling and being lifted up. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult. That means to leap for joy. Oh. Oh, hold on, hold on. We got to get that. I'm tall. I got it. Oh. There we go. Totally fine. Totally fine. And just in case you were wondering, no, that was not the plan. All right, now, let's see if it still flies fine. Yes, good. All right, we'll try that again. I will let you know that you are totally safe. No one was in, in danger at any time. But I will be glad and exult. I will leap for joy. Oh, something is definitely wrong now. I promise I have run this through multiple times. All right, we will, try, we will try it without any more flips. I will leap for joy. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble. That is, they fall. They perish because of your presence. I see people like they're shielding themselves here. <laughs> Be gracious to me, O Lord, you who lift me up from the gates of death. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. That is those who have been beaten down by life. The Lord is a stronghold in times of trouble. And it's not just this psalm. In Psalm 61, the psalmist speaks and says, When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. As the Apostle Paul says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are plexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. For those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up on wings like eagles. Amen. Because in this life, you may fail, you may fall, you may sink so low that you think you will never get back up again. Well, if that is you, I want to tell you that the psalmist has been where you are, and his message to us this morning is that Trusting in God Most High is the only way for us to truly soar. Come on now, that is a good word. I'm just going to land that bunch of you are going to be a lot more comfortable now that that is on the ground. 
Now, you see now what the psalmist is trying to say, but sometimes it can be tough for us to trust in God. Some of you were not trusting me with that drone, but everyone is fine. I told you you'd be fine. You are all fine. When, but it's hard to trust in God when things seem to literally be going to hell around us. It can be hard to trust in the Most High God. Because when you are afflicted, like the psalmist describes, it can be natural to ask, God, what's the plan here? And so when we are in times like that, it would be helpful to know that God is in control. So, Quick, someone tell me their favorite Bible verse that tells us God is in control. A verse that says the Lord controls everything. In fact, any verse that mentions the words God and control. Just shout it out first, you know. Okay, you all are struggling here. Okay, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to help you out here, okay? Because the reason you're struggling to find this verse, the reason you're struggling is there is no such verse. Okay? There are verses that talk about God having power and command and authority and dominion. There are verses that talk about him working in creation and alongside those who are called according to his purpose. But not once does it talk about him exerting control. Because that's not how God operates. Take the story of Jesus calming the storm. Okay, so the Jesus, Jesus and the disciples are out on a boat. Jesus is asleep and a big storm comes. And the disciples become afraid, and they wake Jesus up, saying, Don't you care if we drown? And Jesus speaks, and the storm stops. Clearly, Jesus had the power to stop the storm, and he had the authority to simply speak to the storm and make everything calm. He had dominion and command of the situation, but at least for the first part of the story, he wasn't controlling things. You know, there's no indication in scripture, that, in scripture that Jesus sent the storm. You know, it wasn't like Jesus was having a bad dream, and so then there was this big storm. Now, Jesus didn't need to control the storm because he trusted God to keep them safe. And this can be hard for us because sometimes we want God to operate our lives by remote control. We want him to just sit up in heaven and push all the right buttons and make our lives go the way they're supposed to go. But God doesn't work that way. Psalm 9 clearly illustrates this. The psalmist writes early in the psalm, Lord, you have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. You do not forget the cry of the afflicted. These statements are about God's dominion his authority. He has the authority to judge and the power to answer cries. And yet later in the psalm, he writes, be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. Because while God Most High has dominion over the psalmist situation, he has not taken control of it. God is not operating the psalmist's life by remote control. And the primary difference between dominion and control is that control doesn't actually make anything happen. The remote control is not the thing that holds the drone up. Dominion does that. And to illustrate Dominion, I'm going to have my assistant come on up. Round of applause for Lydia here. Now, I want, after the debacle of the first part here, I just want to reassure everyone, Lydia and I have run through this, this part of the demonstration multiple times. It is totally safe. Okay? 
We ran it through multiple times, and at least one of those times it went off without a hitch. <laughs> so no need to be alarmed, none at all, unless you're in one of these three pews, in which case maybe be slightly alarmed. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, almost entirely kidding. Okay, so as we've established, God has dominion, and dominion is subtly different from control. And so to illustrate dominion, Lydia, go ahead and have that drone take off. So as we've established, Lydia has control over the drone. She can make it go up and down. She can move it around wherever she wants. She has control, okay? But she does not have dominion over the drone. The thing that has dominion over the drone is the air. Because if there was no air in this sanctuary, that drone would not be able to fly. The air is the thing that holds the drone up. And in case you don't see that, I'm going to say that again with a little bit of emphasis. I said the air is the thing that holds the drone up. Okay? And as long as the air is relatively still, it's pretty easy to control the drone. But the minute that there is some wind, the drone, get, drone gets significantly harder to control. Because the air has dominion over the drone. And now some of you are not gonna like this next part because when the storm comes, I said when the storm comes, Because the air is the power that causes the drone to sink or soar. The air has dominion over the drone. We cannot trust in control. Control is not enough to save us. Dominion is what counts. And God has dominion over our lives. He doesn't use that dominion to crush us, to make us crash. No, his dominion is like the air. It is all around us all the time. He has dominion in the calm. He has dominion in the storm. And he will still have dominion when the storm is through. When scripture says we will rise up on wings like eagles, it won't be the wings that are holding us up. We soar in the atmosphere the dominion of God Most High. All right. Clearly, I need to employ Lydia in more of my demonstrations because she did far better than I did. So, dominion is the thing that counts. But sometimes... We don't want dominion. Sometimes we want control. Dominion means knowing that God is wise and that he has authority and power. Control means knowing exactly when and how God is going to act. Dominion is about trust. Control is about predictability. 
And sometimes we want predictability. We want to know that if we do X, then Y will immediately happen. We want to God to control everything. And so when we realize that God doesn't actually work that way, we often make the mistake of substituting something else for God. Something that promises to make our lives more predictable. You see, control is a lie, but sometimes it can be a very attractive lie. And so today I want us to talk about two ways that we look for control instead of trusting in the dominion of God Most High. Because either we try to take control ourselves, or we end up giving control to other things. We either take control ourselves, or we give control to other things. And so first, let's talk about Taking control. How many folks out there like to be in control? By show of hands, how many of you like to make sure the job gets done right? How many of you, now how many of you have ever described yourselves as kind of a control freak? So for those of you, if that's you, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, neighbor, you need to listen to what he is going to say. You're welcome for that little bit of control. <laughs> and you know, nothing exposes our desire for control more than children. For me, like 90% of being a parent amounts to figuring out how to control my kids. Actually, okay, scratch that. 90% of my parent for me amounts to figuring out why my attempts to control my kids are not working. <laughs> like, why can't they pick up their socks? Why, when we have to leave right now, do they pretend like it's a complete surprise to them and not something I've been warning them about for the last half hour? Why do they have to listen to Baby Shark again? I want to control them. And don't don't look at don't look at me like that. <laughs> do not judge me. Do do not judge me. Because you are as bad as me. And you want to know how I know because I see you in church. I see you parents sitting in the pews, and you've told your kids something, like don't play with the buttons on your shirt, don't put your shoes on the pew, don't pull your dress up over your head. <laughs> Whatever it is, you've told them something you don't want them to do, and you will be sitting in the pew, and you will see something out of the corner of your eye, and you will be like, You wait till we get home. <laughs> because you want to control your kids. And those of you out there without kids don't think you are getting off the hook here. <laughs> because you don't want to control the kids. You want to control the parents. <laughs> and all it takes is one kid, one kid crying in church, going, ah! 
and all of a sudden you think you are an expert in parenting. <laughs> you think to yourself, oh no. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. If that was my child. They would not be carrying on like that in church. But now you don't want to give the parents the stink eye because you're in church. And so you will just sit there in your pew and pay perfect attention to the pastor. At least you will look like you're paying attention. In your head, you'll be, you'll be sucking your teeth and rolling your eyes. But outside, you will look like this. <laughs> At least this is how you'll look the first time. The second time that child cries, you will be like, And in your head, you'll be thinking, I am not going to look back. I am not, not, not going to look back. And then the third time the child cries, you will do one of these. As if that solves the problem. And then the fourth time, some of y'all are like, And you're not mad. No, no, you're not mad. You're just trying to help the parents out. It is just what Jesus would do. And so we all want control. Kids just amplify it. Because you see, the things we want to control in kid children are the same things we want to control in ourselves. We, we want to be always polite and respectful and eat well and succeed and be liked by others. We just think we have ourselves under control already. And if we're honest, our need to control things is often driven by anxiety and fear. What will happen to the people I care about if I don't take control? How will I know they are safe? How will I know I am safe? Who will look out for me? If I don't take control, how will I know that the job is done right? What will happen to my plans? And it would be easier for us to give up control if we knew that God would take control in our absence. Because God is omnipotent and righteous, and so I think most of us, uh, if God wanted to take control, we'd be okay with that. You know, if God came to me and he said, Troy, I doth havest this under mine divine control, I'd be like, oh, thank you, Jesus. But I know from experience that God is not interested in taking control of my life. If I give up control, things will not go the way I want. They will not turn out the way I planned. And so the higher I soar under my own power, the more I need to control things because I have more to lose. I can tell you from experience that if I work hard to launch something and I see that 99% of it is under control, the 1% that is out of my control, that's the part that will keep me up at night. 
because control doesn't just lift us up, it also amplifies our fear of falling. Because in this world, when we lift ourselves high, we know inevitably we're going to fall. What goes up must come. For us, flying is just controlled falling. Because there are two things that had dominion over that drone. May it rest in peace. There was the air pushing it up and gravity pulling it down. And that gravity is inescapable. It surrounds the drone and it never stops tugging. Even when the drone appears to float, it is actually constantly falling. Constant, tiny drops. And every time it drops, the machinery has to compensate to control that fall, to generate a strong enough gust of air to lift the drone back up and counteract gravity. So the drone exists in constant tension, air constantly pushing it up, gravity pulling it down. And no matter how good our control is, gravity always wins. Because even if our control is perfect, even, the drone, if, even if the drone manages not to crash into the stained glass window or a wall or wander so far that it loses a connection, eventually its battery will run out. And it is the same with us. We are subject to the dominion of the Most High God who can lift us up and the gravity of sin that is always pulling us down. And under our own power, the best we can do is control the falling. We can, when we slip, we can pull ourselves up. When we fail, we can work harder the next time. When we miss the mark, we can promise ourselves we will never make the same mistake again. But as long as we are flying under our own power, gravity always wins. Because eventually we will crash, or we will lose our connection, or our batteries will run out. We desperately want to not fall. But in our common experience, there's only one place where we are safe from falling, when we hit rock bottom. When we've already fallen so low that we can't get any lower, the one positive of that situation is that at least things can't get any worse. As anyone who has ever had vertigo will tell you, you cannot fall off the floor. But the promise of God is that there is another way for us to be freed from the fall. And that is encoded in the imagery of God being most high. You see, the writers of Scripture realize that not everything actually falls. The clouds don't fall. The moon and sun don't fall. The stars don't fall. And so it was obvious to them that if you could just get high enough things would stop falling. And so that was why they referred to God as the Most High, and they used the word heaven, that is, the skies, as a metaphor for being with God. Heaven was the place where we could be set free from falling. Sheol, death, or hell is the place where people are so low that they can never get back up, and heaven on the other hand, is the place where they have been lifted up so high that they cannot fall. But we cannot get to that place under our own power. Under our own control, the higher we go, the greater the risk of falling. If we want to be set free from falling, we need someone else to lift us 
up. And that is the metaphor for our relationship with the Most High God. He is the one who can lift us up and keep us from falling. You see, in control, there's always the risk of falling hanging over our head. We just manage to avoid it. Control imagines a situation where we will not fall. Dominion is the reality that God Most High cannot fall. It is simply not possible. And we may never get to that. Oh, yeah, sorry. Control involves limitation, stopping something from happening. Dominion involves freedom. God can do what he wants without the fear of falling. And we may never get to that point of complete freedom in this life. But God Most High is already there. And he makes that some of that freedom available to us right now. Amen. Amen. Still with me? Because to be set free from control, we just have to do one thing. One thing. We have to trust God. That's it. Trust God. It's not a very complicated uh, or even very secret bit of advice. It could fit on a bumper sticker. Indeed, saying we have to trust God is kind of like saying there are too many remixes of Old Town Road. It is so obviously true, why even bother making the point? But that is what the psalmist tells us, trust God. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, and those who know your name put their trust in you. We have to choose trust over control. We have to trust that God can and will prevail, whether we rise or fall God will keep us safe. It's a simple solution to a complex problem. But sometimes the simple things are the hardest for us. Because particularly if you enjoy being in control, trusting God may not come very naturally to you. I mean, what are you supposed to do? Just sit around and do nothing? And so I came up with a little slogan for you. Just a little slogan. It goes like this. Prayer and presence come before planning. And for those of you who are grammar experts, I am not speaking alphabetically here. I am speaking chronologically. Prayer and presence come before planning. And, and uh, I lost my spot here. Where am I? Right. Uh, because when we have a problem or a dream or a goal, we often want to go straight to the planning part, right? What can I do? Who can I get to help me? What strategy should I use? What resources do we have? Trusting God means that we don't have to go straight to the planning because God has dominion over the situation. And to remind ourselves that of God's dominion, the first thing we should do is pray. Pray. It's what the psalmist does here. The psalmist is clearly in a bad place, but in the midst of that, he takes time to write a psalm, a poetic prayer to God Most High. And his prayer is not a recounting of his to-do list to God. I think you know these kinds of prayers. God, help me to get to work on time this morning. 
God, help me to make progress on my assignments. God, help me not to procrastinate so much. God, help my lunch with sister so-and-so to go go well. God, help the mechanic to fix my car. Because, you know, why pray when you can pray and plan at the same time? Well, the psalmist doesn't make that type of prayer. He, he does mention his request, see my affliction from those who hate me. But he also praises God's goodness. He meditates on his righteousness and remembers what God has done in the past. And he does this not because it's some formulaic thing. He does it because the point of his prayer is to get into the presence of the Most High God. Because prayer and presence come before planning. What do we sing? Your presence is heaven to me. Prayer and presence need to come before planning. And so if you are pressed for time and you want to know how long you have to pray before you can get to the planning part, you know, is, is two minutes enough? What about five minutes? What if I do four minutes now and six minutes at lunchtime? The answer to that is that you need to pray long enough to get into God's presence to remind yourself that he has dominion over whatever you are facing, and then you can make plans, because planning is not bad. Don't go out of here saying, Brother Troy said planning is bad, so I'm just going to fly by the seat of my pants. Planning is not bad. It's just bad when we think our plans are so good that we think we don't have to trust God. (laughs) Prayer and presence have to come before planning. And there is a reward that comes with trusting God. Rest. And this is particularly important here at PT because we are in the middle of the year of rest. Trusting God allows you to give up control and truly rest. It allows you to know that the success or failure of God's plans does not depend solely on you. And this actually is a challenge for many of us. You might think rest is easy. But sometimes we want to rest and still be in control. You know, we'll take a break or a vacation, but only once we have everything set up so that while we are gone, it will still go the way we want. How many of you, before going on vacation, made a list of all the things that had to get done before you could leave, only to find that that list was multiple pages long? Hmm? That is not the kind of rest that God wants for us. Because it is impossible to rest and be in control at the same time. Jesus could not simultaneously rest and control the storm. The disciples had to wake him up. See, the disciples' need for control was so great that not only could they not rest in the storm, they couldn't stand for anyone else to rest in the storm either. It's only when we trust God that we can truly rest. When we know that the righteous God is still seated on his throne, Know that it doesn't all depend on us. Know that even if things don't go as we planned, even if we fail, even if we fall, he will still be our stronghold. When we trust God most high, we can truly rest. Amen. All right, so 
When we trust God most high, we can let go of our need to take control, and we can allow him to lift us up. So that was the first point. It's important to recognize that that actually, though, is the desire of our heart, to be lifted up, to draw closer to God most high. But our star lives are unfortunately not a story of going up and up and up, of moving from glory to glory to glory. No, maybe, maybe one of you has that story. It's not my story. And my experience, life has its ups and it has its downs. And when we have fallen too far or failed too much, or been beaten down too badly by our circumstances. When we don't have anywhere left to go, at that point we have a choice about what we can do. We can either, like the psalmist, appeal directly to God Most High, or we can turn to other things. Pleasure, our appearance, our possessions, other things that might lift us up. And too often we do the latter. We look to other things to lift us up. And I think one reason we do that is we do not understand God most high. When we fall and we cry out to him and he doesn't immediately do what we want, we figure something must be wrong. Either we don't have enough faith or we didn't pray correctly or God doesn't care or maybe he wasn't even listening in the first place. We mistake the absence of control for the absence of dominion. And when God doesn't swoop in and exert control, then we turn to something that does promise control, that promises predictability, that promises to be there to boost us up, not only this time, but the next time we fall, and the next, and the next, and the next. And very quickly, we find that those things that promise to give us control have actually taken control of our lives. We have given them control. Because before very long, we find that we need those things to stay afloat. And anything that takes control of your life will always, always fail you. The only thing that can lift you up and keep you from falling is the dominion of, the God, of God Most High. And I know this from personal experience. Um, as some of you know, uh, throughout my life, I have struggled with depression. Um, I have gotten counseling for it, uh, I've gotten medication, and those things have helped. But it's never really gone. Sometimes it's in the foreground, sometimes it's in the background, but it doesn't really go away. And I remember when I was in college, I was having a particularly rough, rough time. I was, I was anxious all the time. I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat. I failed a couple of my classes. And I remember on multiple occasions crying out to God, and asking him to come fix me. To come in and wave his magic wand or do whatever it was he had to do so that I wouldn't be so depressed all the time. And he never did it. He never took control. And so I turned to other things. Money, food, clothes, activities, things that could help control my mood. And they didn't make me sore. The best I can say is you know, it would be like taking that drone and wrapping it up in bubble wrap. It didn't keep me from crashing. 
and just made the crashes hurt a little less. It was pretty poor control, but it was the only control I could find. Now, fully formed, allowing things to control our lives has a name, and that name is addiction. Addiction is giving control of your life to something else. And addiction takes many forms. Sometimes it is substance abuse, allowing a substance to control us. Maybe it's alcohol or prescription drugs, or maybe it's caffeine. And I know I probably lost a bunch of you right there. <laughs> You're like, wait, did he just say drinking too much coffee could be bad? That is a prophet lie! <laughs> I rebuke this message. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> that is all right. I will preach to the rest of you. Other times we can be addicted to a behavior like shopping, video games, our smartphones. I just lost a bunch more people right there also. <laughs> you might be addicted to food. Either the satisfaction you get from eating something you crave or the good feeling you get from abstaining to eat something you think you shouldn't. Or maybe you're addicted to something that you know is wrong. Like gambling or looking at things on the internet that you shouldn't be looking at. And no matter what form it takes, addiction is when you let something else take control of your life. And we don't talk about addiction much in church. Or when we do, we talk about it like addicts are just weak. They, don't, they just don't have enough self-control to stop, and that is just plain wrong. Addicts typically crave control too much. They want control more than anything. They are just looking in an inappropriate place. And the truth is that when we are trapped in addiction, it usually started with a choice, a choice to try to control something that was out of our control. Addiction tries to replace a dynamic spiritual relationship with something static. It tries to answer a spiritual longing for God Most High with a substitute. In an article titled, A Longing for Something More, Jim Sekman says it this way. He says, in addiction, we mistake control for safety. We mistake numbness for peace. We mistake indulgence for absence abundance, gratification for fulfillment, and intensity for intimacy. And addiction can seem to work for a time. That's how we get hooked. But when the storms come and the winds blow, we realize that that control we thought we had was a lie. It was never control that was holding us up. It was only ever the dominion of the Most High God. Because He is the one who can actually give us safety and peace and abundance and fulfillment and intimacy with Him. In the midst of depression, I wandered away from God. But He called me back. And when he did, his promise to me was simple. He promised to lift me up. But he could only do it 
if I gave up the things that had control of me. He didn't promise to fix me. He didn't promise to take control himself, but he did offer me the freedom of knowing that when I just couldn't get out of bed in the morning, it was still going to be okay. Because his love for me didn't depend on my ability to get things done. In giving up control, I got in exchange the joy of knowing the one who catches me when I fall and who will always eventually lift me up. Because I don't know how, and I don't know when. But I know that one day, one day, I will rise. And friends, if you find yourself trapped this morning, if something has control of your life, I have good news. Because God Most High, the one who can lift us up from the gates of death, that God is here right now. Yes. And he is the same God who sent his son Jesus down to become one of the oppressed. The Most High God brought low. Jesus was afflicted and ultimately died, but even death could not hold him down because our God is the most high God. And so on the third day, he rose. And God lifted him up and seated him at the right hand of the Father above every dominion and authority and power and above every name that is named. And he did that so that you and I might know that when we are brought low, we have an advocate with the Father who has been where we are. He did that so that you and I and all the world might know that the Most High and the Most High alone has dominion to lift up. And he did this so that you might know that by placing your faith in Jesus, by trusting in his name, that same power, that same authority, that same dominion can come to work in you. Because one day, one day, God wants you to know that you can rise with Christ. One day, we will be set free from falling. Free from the need to control. Free from the gravity of this world and this life. Because one day, God is going to lift us up so high that we cannot fall. And on that day, we will know what it means to truly soar. Amen. And so that is my message this morning. But in closing, I would like to pray for you. And God, this morning, has put a very specific prayer on my heart. 
If you are within the sound of my voice, whether in the sanctuary, the lower sanctuary, listening at home, if you are within the sound of my voice and you are struggling with addiction, I want to pray for you this morning. If something has taken control of your life, I want to lift you up to the Most High so that he can set you free. And I want to do this because we don't pray over addiction much in church. And so a lot of time, addicts suffer in silence. But not today. I said, not today. Today, I want you to know that God sees you. He hears your cries. He has dominion over your situation. But I realize that it can be awkward to stand up in front of church and say that you're struggling with addiction. So I am going to ask everyone to stand. Said, you know, I you see people take, st- take a note. I'm just going to ask everyone to stand where you are, and I'm going to pray over you. I know that many of you may not feel the need for this prayer. That's okay. It's not going to hurt you. I'm going to pray over everyone. And so please, uh, just bow your heads and join me in prayer. God, we give you praise because you are the most high God. God, we thank you that we can trust in you. We thank you that you are seated on your throne where you belong. We thank you, God, that you have dominion over our lives and our situation. We thank you for your presence here in this place this morning. We thank you for the things you are doing, the things you have done, and the things you are about to do. God, you are great and greatly to be praised. And this morning, I want to specifically lift up to you the people here under the sound of my voice who are struggling under the burden of addiction, who are feeling the weight of that thing that is, has control of them. And God, I pray right now that you would lift us up, that every person in the sound of my voice would feel your arms lifting them up, bringing us closer to you, the Most High God, the one who has dominion and authority. God, I bring all of these, we bring all of these things to you knowing that you are a God who promises us beauty in exchange for ashes an oil of gladness in exchange for mourning, a garment of praise in exchange for a spirit of despair. And God, so as we bring these things to you, these burdens, these weights, these things that have control of us, these things that we want to be set free of and lay them down at your feet, God, I pray that you would help us to trust you. We want to trust you, and I pray, God, that you would help us to trust you more. And as we trust you, God, we pray. Th- I pray through your Holy Spirit that each person within the sound of my voice would experience the no- knowledge that they are safe that they have peace, that they have access to abundance, that they would feel fulfilled, that they would know that they have intimacy with you. I pray that you would lift them up and keep them from falling. I pray that when we look, when they look back on this day, they would be able to join with the psalmist in saying, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Not just the part of it that's not weighed down, not just the part that has been set free. With my whole heart, I will praise you. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds because you have done something great for me. I will be glad and exult. I will leap for joy in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High, you who have lifted me up from the gates of death.
Hallelujah. And so to him who is able to keep us from falling and present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, and dominion both now and forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord some praise. Yes. 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 Thank you, God. Hallelujah.